0: And podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by the chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, Rodney Butler. Good morning to you,
1: sir. Good morning, Aaron. and Thank you for having me on. Greatly appreciated.
0: It seems as if there's some movement on the push to legalize sports betting in Connecticut. The state has been in talks with both of the state's federally recognized tribes. Bring us up to date. How close are you to a deal?
1: Well, I don't know if your viewers and listeners had a chance to follow the public safety hearing the other day, but the way I framed it was we're on, we're on the one yard line, um, and I, I have a natural optimism, uh, by the way, so you gotta you gotta take that with a grain of salt when I say the one yard line. But we are in active conversations between both tribes uh, and the governor um, that have you know we've that have been stayed consistent in in the sense that we're actually regularly meeting as opposed to prior conversations, that we would start the conversation and then people would get frustrated and, and quickly move on to uh, to other initiatives. Um, I will say the governor has uh, shown tremendous leadership in making sure that he's got the right people on the team, um, in the in Commissioner Lehman uh, and uh, Commissioner McCall, from their perspective. And they are, they to me, seem like they are focused and committed on getting a, a real deal done. Now, what that looks like, ultimately, that's still... You know, it's still up in the air, um, but the framework is around expanding the uh, gaming economy uh, more broadly, not just sports betting. And so we're talking sports betting. We're talking iGaming, uh, Internet lottery uh, and, and Internet, you kino. and the latter two are kind of below the radar for most people. But if you look at states that have implemented i, I lottery and IKINO, you it's been a su- substantial revenue enhancer for those states that have done that. So we're, we're, we're talking everything. We haven't narrowed it down into the fine deal points yet, but I can s- assure you all that we're, we're making progress.
0: What are some of the remaining sticking points? Is it the issue of exclusivity that the tribes claim?
1: No. I mean... You know, first of all, Aaron, I, I always appreciate when people say it's the exclusivity that, that tribes claim, because that's the way it's been couched. It's the exclusivity that we've all agreed to and, and abided by for the last 28 years. So that's, that's nothing new. The nuance, uh, and it's really driven by people wanting to try something new, is with sports betting itself and whether the exclusivity applies to that. So all the other items that I talked about, iGaming, Internet Lottery, and kino, it's always been a shared mindset of the tribes in the state that those fall within our, our exclusivity, and it's just how do we how do we activate those within the guides of that. It was sports betting for whatever reason, uh, and I think because there were third parties that were trying to get involved with it, that they were influencing legislators in the governor's office to say that no, 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 that's that's not a part of the exclusivity, um, and and because it's not a casino game, and the reality in in almost every other state that has casinos pre-existing. Now, the, the, you know, there's exceptions for, for states that have lotteries uh, without casinos or lotteries that run the casinos. But for every state outside of that, which is the majority of them, sports betting is considered a casino game. And in fact, in Rhode Island, uh, the, the state was sued uh, by a third party who said, no, 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 sports betting isn't a casino game. And they actually, the state of Rhode Island won their case that said that sports betting is a casino game. And so now that we've all accepted that, we are, again, working under the agreements that uh, we've had in place for decades that, that uh, have the exclusive right for gaming uh, for the tribes. Now, th- that doesn't mean that there's not a deal to be had. It just means that that's, we have to recognize that and then figure out how to work within that. And we've done that successfully many times over the years, and we'll do it again this time.
0: You mentioned there's room for compromise. So organizations like the the off-track betting operators in the Connecticut Lottery could potentially have a seat at the table with this?
1: Well, the, the, the people at the table are those that the agreement uh, addresses, and that's the two tribes and the state. And so just like, like we've chosen for a sports betting, to uh, select a partner, a preferred partner in DraftKings, uh, which is the number one brand in sports betting in, in the country, and we're happy to be able to bring that to the, uh, the residents of Connecticut. Um, you know, if if the state were to expand into sports betting through these negotiations, um, which is which is possible, I mean that's 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 the compromise. That if we would allow that to happen, then they could select any vendor they want, uh, presumably. And if that happens to be uh, the OTBs, and that's who they choose, just like they choose them now, just like they choose scientific games to run their lottery, right? The state lottery doesn't run lottery; they they contract it out. And if they had sports betting and ended up contracting that out, I would hope that they would select, uh, you know, our in-state partners of Sportech. But you know, I would question whether they would do that in reality. But that that's on them. So it, our negotiations and compromise are with. You know, the, the government bodies that are that are in the deal, not the vendors.
0: There is talk of legalizing sports betting and then expanding online gaming. Is this a conversation that that's happening in parallel or is this all part of one
1: big package? Yeah, It's all part of one big package. And again, I, I give credit to the governor for that. He, he, you know, came out of the box early. And said look i, I don't want to mess around i don't want to just focus on sports betting or a small deal and have this drag on for years you know let's let's really uh innovate the gaming uh economy of connecticut and how do we do that but we, we talk about multiple uh multiple areas of it in that sports betting and i gaming and i and i lottery so he's always been focused on a broader deal and which which we have been too. and so we appreciated that um despite you know, the challenges that we've had getting to this point, um, we've always appreciated the fact that he had the broader uh, gaming economy in mind when negotiating.
0: In terms of players, I know when it comes to the proposal for the the casino in East Windsor, the joint casino between the Mashantucket Pequots and the Mohegan tribes, uh, MGM was a thorn in your side. Are they involved at all in the whole Sports betting issue?
1: Look, they have a sports betting arm. Um, I would imagine that uh, the state and possibly lottery and lottery testified the other day that they had spoken to many sports betting operators in the last year. I would imagine that MGM is one of several that they've spoken to. When you look at sports betting nationwide, they're not the dominant player. I mean, they're still trying to get a foothold and and grow um, their brand in 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 that realm. And they've done it. They've done a good job. They've bought a lot of assets and they're spending a lot of money to, to gain market share. So I would imagine that there has been a conversation with them amongst probably four or five other providers. But but the same hurdles or the same uh, challenges that we faced with East Windsor, that was much more specific to them because of the competitive impact it was going to have on their property in Springfield. And, you know, I think there's still lingering effects of that. You know, the governor We'll we'll mention that he's concerned about litigation from time to time, Um, but the reality about East Windsor is that it's a fully approved uh, project from a legislative perspective, and if it weren't for the economy essentially collapsing in the last nine months, uh, we'd be having shovels in ground and and opening in, in the near future there. And I just want to remind everyone that East Windsor, when you think about the value to the state, we've always estimated conservatively that In addition to the revenues that we're currently generating in the state between both Foxes and Mohegan, East Windsor was going to add an additional 40 plus million a year in tax revenue on top of the 1,500 jobs that were going to be created there. And so that should, you know, when when you think about that versus the potential of a lawsuit or the influence of an outside party in Connecticut, you know, as as a citizen of this state, I'm I'm offended that there's even any question um, about that project moving forward. So...
0: On the issue of revenue, is it a situation where the longer Connecticut waits to legalize sports betting and online gaming, the more revenue the the state loses?
1: Yeah, Aaron. And, you know, I've been pounding the table on that. We actually had a, uh, to the frustration of some, uh, we actually had a ticker going on one of our websites that showed the amount of money that the state was losing by not enacting sports betting and gaming legislation. You know, since the time that we've been pushing for it, you know, around the same time that New Jersey had, had launched. And there's no more time than the last nine months that highlight that fact of what we've lost out on. When you compare the markets, specifically New Jersey and Pennsylvania, that have had iGaming and sports betting online uh, to our market in Connecticut, New Jersey's casinos, their, their retail casinos were closed a month and a half to two months longer than we were in Connecticut. And with the supplement of iGaming and sports betting, their overall market was only down like 5%, where the Connecticut market was down over 40%. And the reason for that difference in that delta is because they were offset by iGaming and, and sports betting, and we didn't have that. So that alone, when you look at the slot numbers, the slot contributions to the state, you know, coming in at 120 million this year versus 240, uh, that's all because we weren't prepared uh, and have and had that tool in place that we could have utilized.
0: And what are the estimates in terms of sports betting and iGaming in terms of how much revenue it might generate for the state?
1: Yeah. So so sports betting, you know, it's a it's a lower margin business. You know, it's it's interesting to me, again, it's because it's fun and sexy and everybody likes their favorite sports team uh, and the the sport handle that is uh, that's promoted in, in most reports. Is usually off the charts, like, you know, New Jersey hit record numbers of, of sports betting handle of 800 million and, and 900 million, they're going to reach a billion. Well, that's just money flowing through. That's not actual profit. It's a low margin business. And we anticipate that the state on sports betting will get anywhere from, you know, five to 10 million a year of incremental revenue, where on I, I gaming. We believe that that number is closer to 20 to 25 million, growing up to 40 million uh, within, within three years. And then when you factor in, and this is why you have to look at it all in, in totality, um, when you factor in iLottery and iKino, you know, Kino today, and I've pointed this out to many, Kino today uh, this year did about $30 million in revenue back to the state. When you compare that to Rhode Island or Massachusetts, based on the size of our state to Rhode Island and Massachusetts, we should actually be doing about 60 million a year back to the state in revenue. So if we just focus on that and we leverage Ikino, we could double those dollars uh, in revenue back to the state from 30 million up to 60 million. So, you know, so again, you have 10 or so from sports betting, you have another 30 to 40 from iGaming, another 30 from um, from from Kino, uh, and potentially another 20 plus from from iLottery, and you're you're talking some pretty sizable numbers here. You know, pushing almost 100 million dollars of incremental revenue to the state of Connecticut.
0: You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Chairman Rodney Butler. When it comes to iGaming, talk to me about those who have concerns that this is a slippery slope for people who might become addicted. You know, currently you have to go to the casino, go to the convenience store, to, to go to the bar to when when they're open to 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 play certain games and now it's all in the palm of your hand and your smartphone.
1: Yeah. So you have to look no further than the the legalized markets that have been doing this for a few years now in, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Delaware. And when you talk to those regulators there, they actually have a greater sense of comfort with iGaming than they do with physical gaming when it comes to problem gaming, because you're, you're tracking down to the penny every transaction because it's online. Right. And because, you know, you have, bank and credit card information and the like you're doing the geo fencing so you know where people are at Um, and it's easier to actually identify problem gaming online because of the data that's collected than it is for someone who could walk into foxwoods today not sign up for a player card so you don't necessarily know who they are and they can throw in you know a thousand dollars and we wouldn't know if they had an issue or not even if they self-reported and we we've done a great job Internally, in, in tracking problem gaming and working with the uh, Connecticut Council on problem gaming. But it's actually much easier online because of all the tracking capabilities.
0: How are things going at Foxwoods amid the, the pandemic? Certainly, you've been back open now for... For months and months so what's foot traffic like
1: uh it's aaron it's 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 difficult and i'll start with the high level of what's most important and that's safety and and jobs right and from a safety perspective you know we we really have the team has done an amazing job you know between the universal masking the no smoking the the hand sanitizing stations we have all throughout the property the thermal temperature scanners we have at each entrance Uh, We're making sure that people are coming in the building and they're being safe, and you know what what speaks volumes of that. And I just every time I I recite this stat, it it blows my own mind. We've had 2.3 million people that have been through the property since June one, and in every instance where we've identified a positive COVID case, which was literally uh, just around 100 or so, now out of 2.3 million, right? So there's been just over 100 cases, and in those cases. You know, we know exactly where people have been because of the camera coverage that we have and, and we have the safety that they've had the masking on. We identify everyone that they've been in contact with and we will test them after we trace them to say that they've been within range for a certain period of time. And there has not been one instance where there has been a you know, transfer of COVID to uh, one of our employees or patrons because of someone who had it on site. I mean, that, that's remarkable when you think about the volume of people that have been through our building. And again, that's a compliment to the to the team. Now, speaking of the team, I mean that's that's the positive. That is the one positive. But but speaking of the team, you know the ongoing negative is that we're still only about 40% of our total uh, employees uh, bringing them back to property. So I mean, at the peak, we were around 5,000 employees, and our tenants, our partners on site had another 1,500. We're we're now hovering at around 2,000 employees on site. And so it, it's been a long struggle, and it's just that the, the economy hasn't recovered enough for people to come back and to, to, to open up additional parts of the property to bring many of those employees back. And it's not for lack of trying. We actually tried opening our entertainment venue uh, a few months back, and we did it safely. It was distance. I, I, was, I was there for a few uh, events myself just to show that it was safe, um, but you couldn't get the confidence level of, of the patrons to come in and visit. And so we ended up having to close down entertainment again. So look, we're optimistic about the uh, the vaccines that are rolling out. We're optimistic about the comfort level that people are now having with getting out and about with the pro- the appropriate safety protocols. You see the statewide positivity rate rate continuing to decline. That's all helpful to build build confidence. But you know, and until that happens, you know, we're still seeing significant. Uh, revenue declines year over year, and as I mentioned earlier, to the tune of you know 50 percent down year over year uh, financially, and so it's it's a challenge. Um, but we have great employees. We have you know a lot of creativity on on the team to make sure that we're paying bills and uh, and, and keeping our healthcare coverage and uh, and keeping the lights on. But it's it's certainly a, a challenge until we uh, get through this rough patch.
0: In terms of changes you've made because of health in the pandemic, are there going to be some changes that stick around after things get back to normal?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I think I honestly, I think the the masking is going to be around for a while, more so than most people want to believe. I think, you know, the, what they say with the uh, the vaccinations, you know, our, our own experience, because we have had the fortune to have a limited supply of vaccine for our community, is that, you know, not everybody is comfortable yet receiving it. So that's going to linger on for some time. And until you know we get to a point where we feel like enough people have been vaccinated throughout the country, the masks will be around. So, I mean, that's somewhat permanent until we can figure out where this, this virus goes. And if it continues to mutate, that's a whole separate ballgame. But one of the really interesting things I think that most people would be interested in is just the experience we've had. Uh, with, uh, with, with smoking and eliminating that from the facility or having it, we have a dedicated space, you know, in full disclosure, but the 99.9% of the facility is non smoking and all the gaming floors included. So that's something that we'll continue to evaluate because in in previously looking at it, you know, when you did it, if you were going to go non-smoking and your competitors were smoking, there is a clear uh, competitive disadvantage that you put yourself at, and the numbers proved it. I mean, instantly, your your volume would drop by 30 percent. But now that it's been a conditioned behavior for for the entire market, that could be an opportunity to shift from smoking in, in some areas throughout the casino to completely non-smoking. So we're, we're looking at we're looking at that. And there's probably some. There's definitely some cleaning protocols that just make great you know good business sense moving forward. Um, that we had in place prior to, but not to the level that we're at now, but, you know, having hand sanitizer everywhere actually helps us help save us some, uh, some cleaning efforts, uh, that we have from a staffing perspective, um, and, and more examples of that. But yeah, so those definitely be some things that carry forward.
0: Now, even during the pandemic, you are planning for the future, and you recently announced a, a new venture in Puerto Rico. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, well, Aaron, that's incredibly exciting, except for the fact that uh, I was just down there this week for uh, for the announcement, and I had to come back to snow and 10-degree weather. So, look, we are incredibly excited about that. And you have to plan that, that as I said previously, this too shall end, right? And we'll, we will get beyond this and we have to continue to build our business. And for us, we actually have quite a, a draw uh, to and from the Caribbean. And so we, we send thousands of players a year to uh, par- our partnership with the Atlantis. We send thousands a year uh, to our partnership with Norwegian Cruise Lines. And so you know, there's a, it's a good marketing tool for us to have a property in, in the Caribbean. And as we know, in days like today where it's freezing, you know, where else would you rather be? And Puerto Rico is a, is a great location because of it being a U.S. territory and, and you know, and ultimately a state at some point, I'm sure. Um, and so there's very limited restrictions. I mean, I just flew down there, uh, like I said, this week. And other than having to do COVID testing and, and registration where they, they sent me a text every day to see if how I was feeling, you know, it was like I was going to Rhode Island, right? Just use my license and You know, it's U.S. currency and uh, fluent in English, and and it's just it's a it's a beautiful country, and and one thing that I would really would highlight in that was just how how accepting they were and how excited they were as a government for uh, and appreciative for us coming to the island. You know, we had a press event on a relatively small project in comparison to what we have here in Connecticut, and the governor, the Senate president, the Speaker of the House, the you know. Commissioner of of tourism and economic development uh, and multiple members of their legislature were all there To show how appreciative they were for us being there and and I can't say that's always been the response that we get here uh, back at home, uh, which is unfortunate um, Given the the amount of, of revenue that we've generated for the state and the economic impact we've we've generated for the state But it was certainly refreshing to see that we were having an impact on that island and an island by the way that. Uh, we have the largest Puerto Rican population percentage, by per capita wise, in the state of Connecticut. So there's great connections there. My wife is Puerto Rican, and my children are. So a uh, lot of lot of pluses out of that. But yeah, it's a great addition to our portfolio to uh, as an amenity for for players to to go and uh, visit the Caribbean. Uh, as as a reward for for being a patron at Foxwoods.
0: Back to the pandemic, do you feel the the state and federal governments have done enough to engage the tribal nations in the COVID nineteen response?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question, Aaron, and it's a difficult one because I know they they want to, and and I'll say this: um, we've had a great working relationship with the um, Connecticut Department of Health. And in, in this instance, they have gone above and beyond to make sure that, that, that MASH and Tucket has been included in their COVID response planning. And you know uh, we have an exceptional chief medical officer uh, who knows him well, they trust him, he trusts them. And so he's, he's really you know, leveraged that relationship to make sure that we have a seat at the table. Um, but at large, and I, and I think this is, this is the challenge and, and it's different for every tribe, you know, across the state and across the country, where because of the broader federal response or lack thereof, tribes that are working through the federal government are having more difficulties, you know, getting access, at least the vaccines, um, not so much from like, you know, from PPE supplies and the like, the federal government's been great on that, but the vaccine rollout has been been slower. And we've been, you know, we benefited from the relationship with state, at least on the vaccine side um, because of us being a fairly recognized tribe. You know, I have spoken with, um you know some of my counterparts uh, of the state recognized tribes and you know i i saw a recent article about that and it was, it was frustrating uh, honestly and disturbing that they haven't had that same relationship uh with the state and quite frankly it reminded me that if we weren't fairly recognized and you know one of the largest employers we would probably get the same treatment as well which just it, it's it's not right ironically i was just talking with uh, our, our, our local delegation of legislators this morning Uh, And Senator Summers pointed out that literally today uh, she has a conversation with the Department of Health, and she'll be uh, talking about that issue specifically to make sure that they have the appropriate access. Because when you think about high-risk communities, minorities, in particular Native Americans, have a a much worse health profile than the broader community. And that's that's just statistics. And they deserve that access as well.
0: He is Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Chairman Rodney Butler. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Absolutely, Aaron. Appreciate it so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone